and then grab your Bibles as you're being seated. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible there in front of you. You can turn in your Bibles to page 927. We're going to be in Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 28. As you're turning in your Bibles, Kim Paolino is going to come and read the scripture for us this evening. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At century, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer, he, a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing the scriptures that the, Jesus, that the Christ was Jesus. I tell you what, if you were one of the people that get up here and read the scriptures in Acts, in the book of Acts, you're going to find that there's a lot of these names that are really difficult to pronounce. A lot of these cities that really are difficult to understand. How do you even say that word? Well, Kim, I think you've nailed all of that. So excellent job. Thank you so much. And if you get asked to come up and read the word of God, I hope you do that because how many of you love God's word? All right, so if you say you love God's Word, how many of you are regularly, each day, studying and reading God's Word? Okay, so we might say that we love God's Word, but how often are we pursuing it? Do we have a delight in it? Do we love it? Do we, per do we want God's Word living in us? That's really the question. And that's actually what we're going to see in this message today. So here we go. We are in Acts chapter 18. We have a passage uh, that's clearly going to show us, and here's what I want you to see, clearly going to show us the kind of men and women that God loves to use. The kind of men and women that God loves to use and use greatly. This passage, it began with the Apostle Paul. He leaves the city of Corinth and he takes with him the husband and wife partners. Their names are Aquila and Priscilla. And together the three of them go to the city of Ephesus. We're going to see that, Lord willing, next week. Meanwhile, 
Paul leaves Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus, and then he sets sail over 500 miles back to Antioch, to Jerusalem, it seems, and then back to his home church in Antioch. What's he doing? He's reporting back to his home church all of what God had done on that missionary journey. Now, I want you to look at me for a moment. Paul took three missionary journeys. In verse 22, he finishes his second one. And in verse 23, you got to really know this or you're going to miss it. He actually launches his third and final trip. So what we're going to see really next week is that Paul is now on his third and his final missionary journey. Look at verse 23. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul departed and he went from place from one place to the next through the region of Galatia to Phrygia, Phrygia and strengthening all the disciples. So what he's doing is on his third missionary trip, he's going back to the churches that he has already started. He's encouraging them. He's strengthening them. He's helping them. And he's about to arrive in the city of Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus, I hope you're here next week, can I just put a little plug in for this? You definitely want to be at church next week. What you're going to read in Acts 18 is going to blow your mind. Remember, we won't be meeting here downtown. We'll be meeting up on College Hill. If you need a ride, if you need help, come see one of the people wearing a black uh, t-shirt. But we want you to be here next week because we're going to see that the city of Ephesus is ripe for the gospel. I don't know if you like apple picking, but there's times where I've gone apple picking and I've gone to go get that apple and pluck it from that tree and it's almost like the apple falls off the branch before my hand can even touch it. It was ripe for picking. Well, next week you're going to see in Ephesus that city is ripe for the gospel. People will come to know Jesus Christ and it's going to be ripe for harvest, because God is about to bring three faithful men and women who are going to serve in that city. And this is what we're about to see. We're about to see what are the character qualities that are in God's people that allows God to use us greatly. What are the character qualities that when they are in God's people, he will use them greatly? So here we go. Let me get you ready for this. Ready? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you four character qualities in a man called Apollos. Now listen, when I preach, when you come to church, it's my job tonight, I'm the one preaching, it's my job to rightly divide the Word of God, to present it to you in a way that makes sense, that hopefully engages you in it, but now listen, you have a job too. You have a job to listen and to be able to keep praying throughout this message and going, God, are these four character qualities in me? And if they are, return it to God in praise. Praise you, God. Thank you, God. Because if they're in you, it's because God has put them in there. It's His grace that has enabled you to respond to Him. But if these character qualities are not in you, then now you need to confess. You need to agree with God. Admit it. Repent. 
and worship. Now here we go. Number one, here's the first character quality you're going to see in this man called Apollos. A love for God's word. Now, let me help you again. Right now, what you need to be doing, you need to be asking yourself, do I really love God's word? Now, let me help you even do that. Now, think for a second. What food do you really love? What people do you really love? What activities do you really love? Now take that love that you have for whatever and whoever and begin to apply it now to God's Word. Do I think and feel and act that way with the Word of God that I do with my favorite food, my favorite people, my favorite things, my favorite places to be? Do I have a love for God's Word? Now look at verse 24. Let's let the Word of God really help us. Now you should have a Bible open. It's not going to do you much good if you're not in the Bible. And everybody's got a Bible in front of you. Find Acts chapter 18 and verse 24. It says this, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. Friends, there is no simpler way for me to say it than this. The person that God greatly uses is the one who studies His Word. The one who loves His Word. If you don't love God's Word, if you are not studying God's Word, you will never enjoy, you will never appreciate, you will never reach the potential that God wants to have in and through your life. You must love God's Word. Now, Apollos is competent in the Scriptures. You see what it says in verse 24? He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. You know what that word competent means? It means dynamite. It means dynamite. Meaning he was powerful in God's word. He was mighty in God's word. Do you want to be used by God greatly? Then you've got to be mighty in his word. And all of us and each of us and every one of us, if you're a Christian, are exhorted. We are encouraged to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. The worker who has no need to be ashamed, here it is, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, we've got some children here. We've got a lot of children in our church. And let me tell you, I have seen God reach even four and five-year-olds with a love for his word. Age is no barrier. Even if you're a child, you can have a love for God's Word. The living and active Word of God ignites a fire in your heart. It will make you a worker without shame. You know, one of my favorite people in all of church history is George Mueller. George Mueller over in England started an orphanage. And he entirely ran this orphanage on faith. He never asked for money. 
And yet over his lifetime, he led, he fed, and he took care of over a thousand children whose families had dropped them off at the local courthouse, dropped them off at the church. He said, yep, bring them over to our place. We will care for them. And yet God provided over and over for George Mueller and his ministry. He was a simple man. He was a simple man of faith who began one of the most amazing ministries in church history. Now, let me tell you something about George Mueller, and I want you to all listen very, very carefully. For 10 years, George Mueller, now listen to this, George Mueller would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and pray. He would get out of bed, he would put his robe on and he would drop to his knees and pray and 10 years into this habit he began to realize something wasn't working right let me read it to you from his own words he said in his autobiography i saw that the most important thing i had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of god and to meditation on it that thus my heart might be comforted encouraged warned reproved instructed and that thus whilst meditating my heart might be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. I began, therefore, to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning, early in the morning, searching, as it were, into every verse to get a blessing out of it for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. Do you see what a hunger for God's Word looks like from George Mueller's life? If you have a hunger for God's word, and you come with a love for his word, it will increase your love for God. It will make you mighty in the scriptures. You will be greatly used by God in ways that you never thought you could be. You see, a growing desire to study God's word will bring inside of you a growing delight in God. Now, let me be really honest, and let's be really real with each other. If you do not delight greatly in God, then where you need to start is to delight in his word. Because when you delight in his word, you will find growing in you a delight for God. And as your delight for God increases, my friends, then your love for God's word will only increase. That's a character quality. And God will greatly use you if you love his word. But number two, look at what Apollos was like. He had a teachable heart. Now, a Jew named Apollos, verse 24, a native of Alexandria, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Well, let me tell you a little bit about that. Apollos was an Egyptian. He's from Egypt. He's from an Egyptian city called Alexandria. It's the second greatest city in the entire Roman Empire. It's the home of the great university and the massive library that contained over 500,000 books. Paper and parchment was expensive in the first century. This was an untold wealth, 500,000 books. The city was named after Alexander the Great. You've heard of him. 
It was a great city. It was a birthplace, listen to this, of the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek version, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's basically the common translation of the Bible that almost everybody was reading in Paul's day. So here's Apollos. He grew up there. He's from there. He studied there. He's a scholar. He's skilled in debating and teaching and public speaking. And he is a believer, but he is an Old Testament believer like Abraham or Moses or Elijah or Elisha or Isaiah. He traveled to Ephesus in verse 25. He spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now look what it says in verse 25. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. That's all through the Old Testament. That phrase, the way of the Lord. He's been taught the way of the Lord, meaning he was living his life according to the standards, the spiritual moral standards that God revealed in the Bible. But he knew only the baptism of John. His preaching is Bible-centered. His teaching is Bible-centered. He loved God's Word, but it only got as far as John the Baptist. In other words, this is what that means. He preached Jesus being the Messiah, but he didn't know about Jesus' death on the cross. He didn't know about the resurrection of the, from the grave. He didn't know about the coming of the Holy Spirit to live in and empower his believers. He's an Old Testament believer. He's not a Christian. There's a difference. Well, imagine you're on a car trip. In the past four years, you've got a smartphone, but you've never, ever updated your GPS app. So you're on this car trip, and you find yourself on a road where there's not been a bridge there. That bridge has been out for years. You're seeing roads on your map. You're seeing roads that don't even exist on your, on your phone's map. You are lost. You are confused. You stop. You talk to a local who realizes very quickly your GPS app is simply out of date. It's out of date. You update it. And now you see all the right roads and you get to your destination. You see, Apollos was working off an old map. And Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife Christian team, help him update that map. He didn't know what he didn't know, but those more mature than him could see it. Look what happens, verse 26. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took, aside, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, this is amazing. You've got this scholar from the second greatest king, the city in the entire Roman Empire. He is educated, and he is now learning from a husband and a wife who make tents for a living. They are blue-collar. He is white-collar. He is learning from them. They are discipling him. And it reveals for us the character trait. Apollos had an incredibly teachable heart. And you know what? That teachability is missing 
in so many of us. How easy is it for you to sit at the feet of those more mature than you? How often do you invite those who are further than you in the Christian faith to teach you? Have you ever done that? I didn't ask, do you ever listen to sermons from older and wiser preachers. I asked, if you ever, have you ever invited somebody more mature than you to invest in your life so that you can become mature yourself? Amen. See, that's the evidence of a teachable spirit. It's one that will safeguard the next characteristic that we're about to see. Now, let me tell you something before we go to the third one. A teachable heart must have a love for God's word or they're going to accidentally or inadvertently go to our wrong belief. A teachable heart cannot be so teachable that anybody and everybody can speak into it and they believe it. You've got to know the Word of God so well that you know when you're being taught by somebody, it is right. And it leads to point number three. Here's the third character quality, a fervent spirit. Now, we've seen two now. We've seen a love for God's word. We've seen a teachable heart in Apollos. Now we're seeing a fervent spirit. Look what it says, and being fervent in spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you what that means in a moment, but let me kind of get you ready for it. You know what I've noticed in church? Now, I've been a pastor for three decades, 30 years. I'm actually in my 31st year. So I've seen quite a lot of things happening. I've seen all the time, every single year, something new. Something new comes into the church. It might be a new understanding of the Bible. It might be a new approach to ministry. It might be a new teaching in theology. It might be a new way to create a church. And those who are voice uh, spokesmen for the new, those who really believe in them, they're always convinced, always completely convinced that this is absolutely correct. Those who adhere to the new always believe that it's the right way to go. And it's not long before the possessors of the new and the better way either divide the church or they leave the church. They either divide the church or they leave the church. So we've got fervency, but if you've got fervency without deeply knowing God's word and without a teachable heart, well, you've got the reason why so many people have had their faith shipwrecked. They go down to the depths frustrated. Why can't everybody see that I'm right? Now, this is a serious warning for us. You have to love God's word. And you've got to have a teachable spirit. And you've got to have a fervency in that spirit. And they all must go together. Because fervent was a word in the original language for boiling water. Think about that. Think in your mind about boiling water, maybe for your tea. Apollos had a spirit that was boiling. In other words, it was intensely passionate. Now, pause for a moment. Do you know anybody that is an intensely passionate person? 
okay? And maybe you're that intensely passionate person. Maybe I am that intensely passionate person. But I want you to think about this person, and maybe it's you, but I want you to think about this person. They're fervent in their spirit. There's either completely on or there's completely off. There is no middle ground. And likely, if you are fervent in your spirit, well, there's a good chance that you've got the spiritual gift of exhortation. And with that gift comes an inner urgency for the things of God. And you can really impact the lives of others. See, God can use passionate, fervent people when they stay in God's word and remain teachable from people more mature than them. These are the people, Hebrews says, that stir up one another to love and good works. You know, when I was 14 years old, well, let me back up a little bit. When I was 12 years old, I got my first motorcycle. It was a little Honda mini bike, 75cc. The thing was fun. That was great for 12 years old. But when I got bigger and my friends got faster bikes, I needed something faster. So I got, when I was 14, I got a Honda CR125. The guy that had it before me bored it out to a 175, put a big motocross sprocket on the back. This thing flew. Let me tell you something about Honda CR motorcycles, dirt bikes. They had a power band, or what you might call a reed valve, that when you got the RPMs just high enough, that power band would kick in, and you had to be holding on to the handlebars. It was so powerful. You see, a power band, now listen, I want you to hear this. A power band functions like, the four, like a four-barrel carburetor, like a turbo. And it, when it kicks in, it really goes. Now, I want you to hear this. This is why I'm telling you all this. A love for God's word gets you moving, friends. Teachability keeps you going in the right direction. But fervency gives the punch to your life that all of a sudden, God is using you greatly. It accelerates you forward to a life of great effectiveness in God's hands. And this was Apollo's. He loved God's word. He was teachable. And he was fervent in his spirit. But the character quality number four that undergirds all of them, it's our final one. This is what we're going to see next. It's a consecrated heart. A consecrated heart. Now, I'm going to be... Well, if you've ever flown in a plane and you get your first glimpse of the airport and the landing strip, but you know you're still about 10 minutes out, well, I'm giving you now the first glimpse of the airport. You're now going to see the landing strip and we're going to start getting into a gliding path to land this plane. And when that plane lands, now everybody look at me for a moment. Everybody look at me. When this plane lands, you're going to need to make a decision. The Bible won't let you stay neutral. So here we go. Let's get the flight path and let's land this plane. Number four, a consecrated heart. Remember, we've seen in Apollos a love for his word. And we've seen that he's got an incredibly teachable heart. 
And he is so fervent in spirit. He is just boiling with intense passion. But all through all of those, he's got a heart that has been consecrated to the Lord. And you might wonder, what is a consecrated heart? Well, let me define it for you this way. It's a heart that you fully set apart for the Lord's use and purpose. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be really, it's going to take some real courage. Have you truly, friends, set apart your entire life for God's purposes? Or have you done what so many of us do? And this is my prayer for me as well. Have you done what so many of us do? And that is we've got God in part of our life and maybe ever increasingly more of it. But God wants all of it. He doesn't want 30% of your life. He doesn't want 30% say and what you do with your money and what you do with your time and what you do with your health and what you do with your homes, what you do with your gifts and your abilities and your talents. He wants all of it. A consecrated heart is a person who steps up on the altar and lays down and says, God, all of me is yours. Paul referred to this in Romans 12. He said, oh, I, I appeal to you, church of Rome, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your whole life as a sacrifice. And if that's going to be you and if that's going to be me, we've got to appeal and we've got to exhort our hearts to fully surrender to God for his service. And guess what? Your flesh, that part of you and that part of me that wants to resist God, that selfish part, that angry part, that bitter part that says no to God and yes to yourself, that resists God. It won't want to go up in this altar. It's going to say, no, I'm going to keep some back in reserve for me. And if so, you've not consecrated. You've not surrendered. So I would invite you to examine yourself as I have been doing and see if God has a limited space in your heart, a part of your day, a portion of your thoughts, or if indeed your heart is consecrated, and if so, you will have, my friends, an amazing ability to hear God. You will have a single-minded focus to serve Him. A consecrated heart, a surrendered heart, does not calculate your sacrifice, but rejoices in giving to God. It longs for ever greater usefulness to God. Listen, if you want to know if you've got a consecrated heart, I'm going to tell you one of the clearest ways to know. How often do you pray and ask God, would you use me 
Would you make me usable? Would you make me effective for your purposes? How often have you prayed that in tears? How often have you prayed that in surrender? Maybe even with your entire body lying on the ground, completely giving up, completely surrendering to God. God, make me usable. Use me for your purposes. If you prayed that, if you continually prayed that, you had the evidence of a consecrated heart and a surrender rendered heart. You see, you see it in Isaiah where he said, here I am, send me. But look what God had to do. He had to take a live coal from the altar and touch his lips. It was in that grand vision of seeing Jesus on that throne and hearing the, the incredible and celestial beings cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And something in Isaiah ruptured. And what ruptured was his self-will. And he laid on that altar and he said, God, use me. God, give me to your purposes. It's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's got sweat and blood dripping from the pores of his body, yet he cries out, not my will, but yours be done. That's a consecrated heart, and Jesus himself shows us the beauty of it. Have you fully surrendered to God and said to him, here I am, Lord, I am yours, use me. Now let me tell you what one of my favorite men of Christ has said, D.L. Moody. He was an evangelist in the city of Chicago. He went back and forth from England to America. He led thousands and thousands, maybe millions of sinners to faith in Jesus. D.L. Moody said this, and I think he's right. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. Is that your prayer? Now, friends, that was Apollos. He had a love for God's word. He had a teachable heart. He was fervent in spirit, and he surrendered all of who he was to the purposes of God. How do you know that? Well, look at our text. Look at verse 27. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed. These people were in Corinth. Apollos was in Ephesus. He said, God, send me to the most immoral city in the Roman Empire. And that most immoral city was the city of Corinth. He said, send me there. Send me to the ones who need you the most. And they sent him to Corinth. He greatly helped those who through grace who had believed. God used, verse 28, Apollos to powerfully refute the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. In fact, Apollos would become so influential, some believed that he began, or some rather, wanted him to be their pastor rather than Paul. He rivaled Paul in, in preaching. Yet he was humble. He never used his popularity and influence to divide or pull people away to follow him. That's a consecrated heart. Listen, I'm going to say this because we're all, we are all prone to doing this. 
Boy, I tell you, it's hard sometimes, right, to focus. That's okay. It's like this back in my family, too. We can all kind of distract people. But it's really important what I'm going to tell you because you know what? Some of us, or let me put it this way, every one of us, me included, we all have the potential to divide the church. Every one of us. But you will never find someone who loves God's word, who has a teachable spirit, who is fervent in spirit, and has a consecrated, surrendered heart dividing God's word. It's literally impossible. This is the key to unity. This is the key to being effective for the purposes of God. Now, we're about to land. We're watching the runway. It's like you can't even see it anymore because it's straight out ahead of you. You can't see it out the window. We're just seconds from touchdown. Let me just let me just tell you something really quickly before the wheels hit the tarmac. We could have really spent this entire sermon talking about Priscilla and Aquila. They're mentioned together six times in the Bible. Two of those times, listen to this, this is important. Two of those times, it's Aquila, the husband, and Priscilla. Four of the times, it's reversed. It's Priscilla and Aquila. That means something in Bible language. That means she was even more knowledgeable of God's word, even more teach, able to teach than even her husband was. She had even more influence than her husband. And you know what? I've seen that in our church, and I think it's a beautiful thing, and that couple realizes who they are. It doesn't produce tension. Number one, I think it's beautiful when husbands and wives serve together, and I would tell you, as often as you can do that, let me encourage you to do that. But listen, if your wife, men, if your wife knows God's word and has gifts that you don't, don't be threatened by that. Praise God for that. Support your wife, yet lead. You need to lead, but let her use those gifts for effective purposes in God. And wives, if you're ahead of where your husband is spiritually, don't don't shame your husband and don't feel guilty about it. Encourage your husband, but don't let off the gas. Put your foot down even harder and consecrate your life. Surrender to God. Let me close this way, and you're going to hear the chirp of the wheels as I do. Have you surrendered all to Jesus? Consecrating yourself to God, fully devoting yourself to his use. If you get to that point, my friend, it's God's grace that gets you there. And it's his grace that will enable you to lay on that altar. It is God's grace that will enable you to live a consecrated life. But if you're not there, if you're not surrendered to God, which I would imagine is a lot of us, well, let me encourage you right now to know the secret in this closing passage that I'm going to read to you from Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, the things that hold us back from God. Lay it aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's your key, looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, that's the key, my friend. Look to Jesus and you will find your heart following after him. And you will find your heart 
ready and willing to surrender to him. And flooding into you will be a consuming desire to hear those words from the lips of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. All right, we landed. We're taxiing to where we can get off the plane. I've got 30 seconds left. Apollos was a man of God that loved the scriptures. He was humbly teachable. He was fervent in spirit. And through all of that, under all of that, he had surrendered fully to God. He followed the example and the footsteps of his Savior, Jesus Christ. So my friends, as I close, is there anything holding you back? Is there anything keeping you from surrendering to Jesus Christ? Are you ready to confess there if there is and repent and turn to Jesus and worship? I want you to think about that as I pray and as the uh, worship team comes back up here and Pastor Kyle comes forward. Would you go ahead and pray with me? Father, thank you. Lord, for this man, his name was Apollos, and Lord, we might think that's a bit of an odd name, but boy, I tell you what, did he have incredible character. He loved your word. Lord, he had a teachable heart. He was fervent in spirit. And Father, he had stepped onto that altar and laid himself down and surrendered all to you. And like D.L. Moody said, the world will be changed by a consecrated man or woman of God. May that be us. And Lord, I pray that even tonight, Lord, we would confess what's holding us back and we would give everything to you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.